Hello, my friends, and welcome into another edition of the JMAC Podcast. We're going to start doing something called JMAC Quickies. <laughs> and no, it's not what you might think it is. Uh, these are stories that I see out there that aren't necessarily worth an entire uh, podcast, but I do think they're interesting. Uh, they may be more interesting than of uh, some type of political value or commentary on current events. But I would still love your feedback on these stories. And again, some of them reflect how the world is changing. For example, this story, I saw it in the Atlantic, and it says, Who cares about cursive? Kids don't learn to churn butter anymore either. This is a response to a story that somebody had written complaining that kids don't learn cursive anymore. And, you know, I sat here and I thought about it for a minute, trying to ask myself, why do kids need to learn cursive? And maybe you can answer this question for me because I I don't have an answer. I don't know why they learn, need to learn cursive at all anymore. Um, I think cursive is faster, um, but I think fewer and fewer people know it and know how to read it. Um, I think cursive looks cooler. Uh, my mom had great cursive. My wife has beautiful cursive. Um, I have, uh, I, I don't remember the last time. I tried to write in cursive. I don't know if I've ever tried to write in cursive for that matter. Um, and I can't, in fact, I can't write at all now. I, I don't know how many of you know. You must know when you watch my videos. And those of you who have followed me for a long time, you know that I suffer from something called essential tremors. And what that means is I shake, my hands shake. I don't know if you can see that. Oh, yeah, you can see that pretty good. I mean, my hands shake. And especially when I try and grab something, let's see if I try and grab a remote there. You can see that um, my hands shake. And so my penmanship is awful, even with something like this big old soda. Look at that go. I mean, for those of you that are on the podcast, all I can tell you is that the straw is going back and forth and you can hear it. Maybe I'll hold it up to the mic and you can hear the ice uh, shaking back and forth. This is not intentional. This is what I deal with every single day. I do take medication for it. Um, I can take more medication. Like if I'm going to be speaking in public, uh, I will take a little bit more medication uh, I've had people ask me, you know, uh, if I'm nervous, like before I speak. There's something that was a frustration for me on the campaign trail because I'd get up to speak. And uh, one of my favorite things in the world to do is speak in public. I love it. I absolutely love it. I would do it every day for a living if I could. But if I'm holding a piece of paper or an iPad or something, I'm shaking, and what do people automatically think? They think I'm nervous. And in fact, I had uh, one lady come up to me one time, and she said, I just love uh, I love how powerful you are as a speaker. 
And it's inspiring to me because I can tell you're so nervous, but you still do such a great job. And I'm sitting there thinking, do I tell her that I'm not nervous? Uh, because I was, I had inspired her. Um, so I wasn't sure what to do. But anyway, um, the, the reason that I tell you this story is like even when I type now uh, for work, especially my left hand, it will double click letters. And so like if I'm trying to hit a Q or a W, I'll, I'll hit that letter sometimes two or three times because I'm shaking and then I have to back up. So uh, more often than not now, I'm using dictation. And thank goodness for dictation. When I'm writing out emails or texting, I'm not writing at all. I'm using dictation. And if I ever have to handwrite something out, it makes me nervous because I know I'm going to be shaking and am I going to be able to do it? So in that case, hopefully my wife is around and then they, they, then she can do it. Let me move this soda out of the picture there. Um, so the reason I bring that up is that the world has changed. And it's changed so much that we don't need cursive anymore. And there's a lot of places where the world has changed. And maybe you can help me think of them, put them in the comments. Some of them I do lament. And I think it's very sad that they've gone away. And we may pay a price for them. Others, uh, not so much. And, and I'll, I'll give you some examples. Uh, my children couldn't read a map to save their lives. They couldn't do it. And, you know, when we grew up, I grew up, I was born in 69. I used to go and have to drive around to different houses to perform jobs. And in California, we had a Thomas map book. It was about two inches thick. And you had to go in. First, you look in the index. You find the street. Okay, it's on page 5A2. And then you'd find it. So now you know where the end destination is. But then you have to work your way backwards to figure out how you're going to get there. Um, so reading a map is one of those things. Reading a compass. Um looking at an analog clock. I, I don't know if that one will ever be necessary again. I mean, they used to have to read the sun. Then we went to analog clocks. I don't know if that one's ever going to be needed again. You know, here in Utah, most of the cities, the streets are laid out in squares and the addresses are numbers like 800 North, something South. And uh, so you should, without a map, be able to go to any location. And I guarantee you, most of the youth that live here in Utah, they don't even know that that's a thing and they couldn't get from one location to the other. Um, something else that I don't do anymore. I don't remember phone numbers. I know, <laughs> this is going to be really sad. I know one phone number. Oh, no, that's not true. I know two phone numbers. I know my wife's phone number. I don't know any of my children's phone numbers. And I know <laughs> I know the phone number of my Smith's membership. And the reason that that number is different is because it's still the membership number that we used back in Texas. 
So <laughs> I know two numbers and that's it. I mean, you think about all, all the things that, uh, you know, we used to have to do. The world is changing. And, and I think, I think there's a valuable uh, question to be asked. And it should be asked, I think, at an educational level and a parental level. What uh, skill sets are we losing that it's okay? Because we're never going to have to go back to those things. Compared to uh, what skill sets are we losing that it's not okay? Like reading a map, you should know how to read a map. Um, writing a check, probably not. Filling out uh, some, you know, an envelope to mail to somebody. Well, under the current system, yeah, you you probably should know that. Um, doing the ledger, the the ledger in your checkbook, is that something? I mean, I think that the world is changing so fast that it might be wise to reassess what we're teaching our kids and decide what things can go. And yes, cursive is one of those things. And then decide what things can stay or need to be stayed and make sure that we teach those things. Put what you think in the comments. Put what can stay, what do we have to make sure stays, and what can we just let go and stop complaining about it. And stop saying, back in my day, we had to do this, that, or the other thing. You know, what What can stay? Like, I'll give you one more example. I still think that it's important for kids to learn how to drive a stick shift. Um, two of my children know how to do that. Uh, the rest of them don't. Is that really going to be a thing? Probably not. But I'm old school and I'm like, you never know when you're going to need to have to drive a stick shift. So that is <laughs> that is one of those things that I deem necessary. So that's a JMAC quickie. Let me know what you think. We have a cool little sound effect that will let you know we're now moving on to the next story. And it's called a whoosh. This is the whoosh right here. Did you hear the whoosh? Okay, so that's the whoosh. Let's move on to our next JMAC quickie. So this one has to do with handwriting as well. And I think that this one is definitely going away because of how prescriptions are handled. And Google, I think, is a little bit late on establishing this technology. What am I talking about? Google will soon translate your doctor's terrible handwriting. Now, I... I don't know if there was, uh, there there had to have been a class in pharmacy school where they taught you how to read prescriptions from doctors. Because back when they were all handwritten, I would look at them and I couldn't, is it code? Is it hieroglyphics? What is it? I just don't know. Well, you should be glad to know that Google is developing an AI model that can decipher difficult to read handwriting with a focus on notes and prescriptions written by doctors. The search giant announced during its annual conference in India on Monday that it was working with pharmacists to create a tool in Google Lens 
that can decode messily written medical notes. Now, this is from The Verge. Um, it, you know, maybe this is a good thing where I could go back to handwriting and uh, people could read my scribble. Uh, if you didn't know, uh, Google Lens is an AI-powered multi-purpose object recognition tool. Uh, there's no detail yet on when the new text deciphering feature is expected to launch, only that much work will remain to be done before the system is ready for the world, real world. Come on, Google. It, it, this isn't needed anymore. Do you guys, do you still get uh, prescriptions on a pad of paper? Does that still happen for you? Because I can't remember the last one. I go to the doctor. The doctor knows what pharmacy that I go to, gets on his computer, transmits those uh, those prescriptions to the pharmacy, and that's it. I never given a piece of paper, um, and that's it. Now, there are some things like um, controlled substances where they will still hand you a piece of paper, but even that piece of paper is, it's got a seal on it. I don't know if you've seen it. And it still has the prescription typed on it. So Google, you're a little bit behind the eight ball on uh, this one. Now, maybe maybe I'm, I'm talking about a first world problem here. I guess I'm assuming that every country has this technology. Maybe they don't. Um, doctors, maybe you could just take some time and learn better penmanship. I don't know, but where I live and the way my doctor handles it, I don't know what his handwriting is like because I have never seen it. We'll do another whoosh here. And our final story here for JMAC Quickies is one that I just thought was a little bit odd. Um, it's an admission from a movie maker. And, you know, movies have an impact on our lives. They have an impact on our perspective on things. And I think oftentimes a director might go back and say, you know, I wish I would have done something differently because this definitely caused... Uh, scare, it caused uh, people to be worried in society. Um, and this is just not one of those cases, but the director apparently is worried about a movie. I think it was one of the most popular movies ever made, and he's worried that it gave uh, a certain uh, a certain figure in the movie, a really bad name. And now we're all afraid of this thing that we, we shouldn't be afraid of. I don't know. Here, here's the story. Uh, Steven Spielberg feels guilty about how Jaws made sharks look bad and led to their senseless deaths. Now, I guess that second part kind of makes sense. Let's see here. He says, that's one of the things I still fear, not to get eaten by a shark, but that sharks are somehow mad at me for the feeding frenzy of crazy sport fishermen that happened after 1975, 
which I truly and to this day regret the dissemination of the shark population because of the book and the film. I really, truly regret that. Uh, Peter Benchley, who wrote the 1974 book that Spielberg's film was based on, also publicly apologized for his role in the sharp drop-off of the shark population, which George Burgess, director of the Florida program for shark research in Gainesville, told the BBC was like a collective testosterone rush that swept through the east coast of the U.S. Thousands of fishers set out to catch trophy sharks after seeing Jaws. He told the outlet while suggesting, similar to other published studies, that the shark population was notably impacted by the release of the movie. It was a book, it was a good blue collar fishing. You didn't have to have a fancy boat or gear. An average Joe could catch big fish and there was no remorse since there was this mindset that they were man killers. Uh, this is, this is interesting. Um, the way I introduced this topic probably wasn't totally fair. I mean, I understand what, uh, what they are saying. But I also don't believe for a second that uh, much of this population would not have been attacked or gone after. We know that uh, several societies value shark fins and uh, things like this. I, I never had that sensation, but I guess I'm not a sport fisherman or a hunter, I didn't see the movie and think, man, I'm going to go out and kill me some sharks. But uh, other people, I guess, saw the movie and said, oh, sharks are fair game. Uh, let's go out and uh, deal with them. I I don't know if I'm Steven Spielberg or if I'm the author of this book that I would be feeling too bad. But maybe I'm heartless and maybe I'm a shark hater. I don't really know. What do you think? Let us know in the comments. Would you be feeling bad if you made a movie about sharks? I mean, honestly, I think that this is on the people who took it upon themselves to kill sharks. It was also a different time, you know. Um, you didn't have a lot of the animal preservation going on uh, that we do now. You also, I think people didn't have an understanding that they could truly affect an entire population. But I, I, I got to say, you know, and I'm just, I'm just reasoning this out in my head. So forgive me if it's just train of thought here. Um, sharks are man killers. They do kill people every year. Uh, we hear their st those stories every single year. And, and I have to believe that even if this movie didn't happen, that this decline in the shark population would have still happened. You'd probably have a lot more people getting attacked by sharks. And that would probably give rise to people going out and going after sharks. So did this precipitate it? Did it accelerate it? Yeah, it probably did. But was it going to happen anyway? I'm just guessing. I'm just speculating. But I'm thinking it would have happened anyway.
So that, my friend, is what we call JMAC quickies. Uh, just several stories that caught my eye that I wanted to give a little bit of a commentary on. Please take a minute, like, share, subscribe, follow, tweet, uh, whatever you can do to help us spread the message of this channel. That is your responsibility. I'm putting that on you. And then to help us to be able to do these recordings, to live stream them and send them out to everybody, those of you who can afford $5 or more a month, uh, you'll get first access to all of our videos. You'll get access uh, at different levels to my books and my uh, webinars. And soon, we hope to be able to invite you in via video if you would like to uh, speak to me one-on-one -on -one in a live version of this program. You know, just like the old-timey phone calls, uh, that we used to do so long ago in talk radio. So I would love that, but I can't do it unless you take some time, go to the link in the description, click on the link, join uh, the JMAC Members Club, and that will help everybody out. With that, thank you for joining us for JMAC Quickies, and I hope you have a wonderful day.